Hello and welcome to a special episode of What Moves Us. With Johanna, we're here at the Hilton Bankside in London at the Railway Industry Association annual conference. The theme of the conference is building a customer-focused railway at home and abroad. So we can't lose the fact that this conference is happening during a general election campaign. So any of the government people we're expecting are not here. So uh, they had, uh, we instead slotted in something about uh, opinion polls, which I found fascinating yesterday. Um, and obviously the skills and diversity agenda come up too. But we started the conference, had a quick word with Darren Kaplan, the chief executive of the Railway Industry Association. Yes, so given that we were here talking about um, sort of like the future in um, a post-EU world and we heard some conversations um, from Mark Watts about um, the UK transport in Europe and what that meant for business, that's, oh, what yeah, that I asked, that's what I asked Darren about, so let's hear what he had to say about it. So here we are at the Railway Industry Association Conference and I have Darren, their Chief Executive, with me. So um, I want to ask you about how the conference is going, but specifically I want to bring up a point from Mark Watts from the UK Transport in Europe, who said that we weren't doing sufficiently enough as a government to prepare for our exit from the EU. Could you just expand on your thoughts about that? Of course. I mean, in terms of the conference, we're having a really interesting day, covering lots of issues, looking at things like the uncertainty our members are facing and issues they need to come across and overcome next year, things like boom and bust, having more detail on the enhancements pipeline, uh, backing for major projects and so on. But the specific issue about Brexit and how we grow our way in the world in what are very uncertain times internationally is a really important point for, to cover, especially for our members. Now, Mark Watts made the point that with Brexit, we should be engaging in Brussels as a third party country, because if and when we leave the EU, we're going to have different relationships in the councils or, or the, the corridors of power in Europe, whether that's the EU and the Commission and the Council, or whether it's member states. And we're not at the moment engaging the way that we should. He's also drawn attention to the fact that um, the UK mission, which was is the new uh, representative body uh, representing the UK government in Brussels, doesn't seem to have a business plan going forward about how we as businesses can engage in Brussels post-Brexit. So it's a really important point, and I think the point he's making is we as RIA and as uh, individual uh, bodies, in individual companies, should be engaging in that uh, argument to try and make the case in Brussels for the uh, UK post-Brexit. Um, uh, post one other point on that is um, the Department for International Trade must look at rail as one of the sectors that can help grow UK PLC when Brexit happens as well. And we're finding that it still, not have, it still doesn't have high enough profile within the DFT, uh, sorry, DIT when you look at uh, uh, sectors like aerospace and automotive who have much more support in DIT, rail needs to be up there too. So it's both better engagement in Brussels and better engagement at the DIT in London and in the UK. Interesting. Well, thanks, Darren, for talking to us. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I know we talked about lots of interesting, um, or we're going to, we've interviewed lots of um, people at the conference and lots of themes have been covered, but uh, I, um, I think, although I felt when I asked Darren the question about what it meant for the for UK business yeah. um, in a post um, Britain in the EU world, um, I found it quite um, 
disappointing that more wasn't being done. Yes. But at the same <laughs> time, um, when we heard more conversations today from um, some of our other partners in um, in Europe, such as Rail Baltica and um, the Greater Paris um, scheme oh, yes. that is going on, I actually still found it quite positive and the fact that business is business and business will still happen regardless of the wider politics. Yes, I think there was a... Well, I think it's something we'll come on to discuss, but it was pretty much a challenge to the room of you need to shape up and work out how yeah. you're going to thrive in the future. Yeah, and that was status. that was interesting from Monica at um, X-Rail in that sense as well, is that it's hard that you yeah. have to put in effort. Of, and I, that was quite, um, quite astonishing, really, that it took them seven years, was it, to get a yeah. contract in Saudi Arabia? And that's difficult for an SME. I'm like, how do you do that? I'm like, because most SMEs, they're quite small. They're resource hungry. They don't, you know, they don't have, you know, necessarily the time or the money to put into this. And I guess that's where RIA comes in, really, isn't it? Yes, but yeah. it's also the access, because we don't know the end result of Brexit. But if we're no longer part of the single market, then there's no open procurement for British companies. They won't be able to tender for the... Well, they won't guarantee access to tender for some of the public projects. So will they then have to partner with local partners? But I guess that all depends on the final relationship, yeah. doesn't it? It's not about the withdrawal agreement. It is about what is our final trading relationship. Yes, and some of the people that I bumped into and was speaking to, they were, they were saying, we, you're expecting us to develop skills and talent for the future, but there is no guarantee of what the future situation is. And what those skills are. Yeah. What's, what's, what skills do we think? I mean, cause we did, I mean, we did hear a little bit about that, didn't we, in a diversity and skills yes. panel session that was led by Milda. Yeah. Um, so what did we hear there? We heard from Joe Muffat, who we spoke to at the Trailblazers workshop. So there is a work, there is a work stream, but... Now everyone is aware of the the idea of diversity. It's 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 a case of now actually having concrete steps to work from it. I thought it was very interesting in the room, obviously 80% male, that yeah. one of the questions that popped up on the app, an anonymous question, was how are you having a diversity panel without talking about men? And I don't I think it's a case of it's not just a, it's we should get away from just bashing traditional rail employees on the head and saying you're not diverse enough is how do we use their diversity of experience in this blend and I think I mean I there's a couple of points I want to bring up there because we also you know at the end of the day um, we heard from Angie Dole I like uh, Angie now did she, you know she, she was lovely when I first started at Transport for London uh, planning for the Olympics but way back in about 20 2008, Angie and I were on the same working group when she was in South Eastern. Um, I think what came across from Angie was that... Um, Did we mention she's now, uh, what was the official job she's, title? She's MD of Southern and Gatwick Express, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Um, is that clearly she's a people person. Yes. And she gets that this industry is about people um, because it's about moving people around. It's not about the widgets. And we often talk about it's how you feel. Um, but she also brought up a few, I mean, she brought some really interesting insights in from about um, 
diversity um so you know it's about diversity of experience because she shared with us that she was at um, a long service awards ceremony a couple of weeks ago and rail is still one of the um few industries that has long service awards yeah. and it's kind of we I don't know what it is about rail where we take it as a badge of honour to get up in a room and say I've worked here for 40 years. Now I have to confess <laughs> I was actually at that occasion because my uncle was retiring has worked at Selhurst de- Depot and was having his retirement luncheon and she presented him his uh, award and one I thought my goodness this is a small industry and two yes there were lots of people who had clearly spent their entire life in a very small section but, of this industry. But that's the other thing that's really interesting. Not only do we have long service, but we all tend to come from the same families as well. Yes. I mean, when I worked when I worked at GNER, I think that you know there were you know there were uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters. I mean, I know there still are, but I mean, I'm no different. I met my husband through the railway. <laughs> Our daughter works for Eurostar, so we are a railway family too. I don't I don't know what it is. You know, about you. Well, is it just because we all love it so much that we attract all our family into it? I think it's that the message that the industry is trying to put across is their skills there's opportunities there's reason to jobs but the brand is so poor to the general public that the only people who actually take a chance on these skills are they when know you, somebody yes because you're like oh yeah well they enjoy it okay well i'll apply whereas if you don't know somebody or a lead in it I mean, it's the same for supplying to rail. You don't supply unless you already know someone in it. So we're, so we're actually part of the problem ourselves. But so I we're think podcasting, you... we're trying to change the world. <laughs> but I think, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, like Angie spoke about her own team and about, um, you know, bringing it back to the diversity panel a bit as well, is that um, she wants to create a blend of experiences. And I think I tried to do exactly the same at HS2, where I had people that, you know, I had the experts that yeah. worked in had worked in rail, but they'd worked in different areas of rail. So I had somebody who was commercial, somebody who was an asset manager, somebody who was a civil engineer, somebody who actually never worked in rail at all, yeah. um, who came from a retail sector, but that was because she was going to be leading on Euston. And mm. one of the things about Euston is is it's going to be it's going to, it's got a big master plan, yeah. it's going to have lots of shops, it's going to be about the experience. So yeah. you don't really need a railway but to create that you need somebody who knows something about retail and customer experience yeah so so blending is important yeah but I think yeah as you say you know sort of yeah why is it that when we debate diversity do we have to make it a zero-sum game so if a woman is gaining something that has to be at the loss of a man or if a disabled person is gaining something it's at the loss of an able person you know, or if it's because or, or a leader become you know is you know from an ethnic minority why is it that at a loss of, you know why why is that no i think it would be a really good idea for the next conference yeah um or just any conference really because i'm worried about because, what you're about to say no no, no this is <laughs> I, I think i've seen this before is that Rather than actually sort of, because I'm thinking, how do you change that? How do you get different faces in the room? Because yeah. we go to a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like, it's and we're an the industry. face that everyone sees. It's, it's an industry in its own right. <laughs> I mean, like it really is. Um, they certainly are, and you see lots of the same people at different ones and that. Yeah. So why not bring a friend? So when you start, you know, get people to you. So so if I'm 
the white man in the room, I have to bring somebody from my organisation that yeah. is, you know, might be a woman, might be a person of colour, might be, you know, somebody who's, you know, first time, you know, give people exposure. And that automatically changes the dynamic of the room and gets you your diversity. You know, without actually okay. removing the expertise yeah. or actually making it seem as though I'm pushing you aside. It's saying I value your expertise. I value the fact that you've worked and you're a leader in your in your field. Yeah. And now I'm going to mentor somebody and bring somebody along with me. That's a much friendlier approach, isn't it? It is. And it refers back to the plus one reception we went to. That's where, where that was, yes, that was what had, I was thinking of, yes. That was the previous yeah. event and we went we should to do where more you had to bring someone under 30 with you. Yeah. And we should do more of that type of stuff because I think just you saying about under 30, because one of the other subjects that came up a bit in day one of the conference was about the climate emergency. Yeah. And I don't think that's really been tackled enough at the conference. Well, there's, re- yeah, I mean, there's reference to we're researching new ways to power trains. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, and, I've, and I, I think I kind of, you know, sort of like had a Homer Simpson moment when, when somebody, you know, said, you know, well, we've got to be careful that we've commissioned the wrong type of technology. Well, probably to a certain extent, we probably had the right te- technology called overhead wires or third rail <laughs> or whatever that we can then use sustainable sources of electricity generation. Yes. Know, but we're not, you know, that's another story. But one of the things that struck me was that if we're trying to get young people to come into the rail industry, yeah. and young people are really imagined by the climate emergency and what, what that means for our futures, yeah. why aren't we going into schools and educational establishments with a new story, which says transport has a big part to play in tackling the climate emergency and coming up with more sustainable ways to travel, more mobility, and that needs to be solved by engineers by chemists, by designers, yeah. by, you know, Branding by artists, consultants. architects, <laughs> you know, wh- whatever it is, but it's not solved by celebrities and footballers. And yes. don't we, you know, by taking a subject that is getting young people passionate and giving them an industry where they can make a difference, does that actually change the narrative and get more diversity and get new people and get people interested in not just rail but transport? Yeah, probably. Let's so, go to... Uh, the people we met around the conference. So I'm now here with Anna. Um, Anna, could you explain your uh, job title? Yeah, I'm a business development manager at Hitachi Rail Limited, and I'm I'm in the railing stock division, so I'm responsible to sell trains eventually, and to sort of build relationships, so any early engagement with customers. Okay. Developments. Right, just moving to a quiet corner. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, for the rolling stock. That one looks suspicious. Yeah. And um, what themes are you interested in at today's conference? So my main driver, I'm actually, my background is not engineering, my main driver to join the rail industry was sustainability. So that's always key for me at any conference. I look at how can we decarbonise railway and how can we fight against climate change. And we've seen it mentioned, we've heard it mentioned quite a few times, sustainability was mentioned and how do we decarbonise railways. So that was um, one of the key themes I've identified today. Yeah. And uh, it's always good to see and I thought the, the key thing that struck me, Alex Hine from uh, Scotland said, well, we need to tell customers that they're on an electric
electric train rather than a diesel train. Because yeah. if they don't know, they're not going to ask for electric trains. So I think uh, okay, there's yeah. a lot of behavioural change and a lot of environmental awareness that's growing. But unless you tell people this is the better solution, they're not going to ask for it. And we need more people asking for the environmentally friendly solutions. Yes, and I think that there's a... a, a in the rail industry, we assume that people know whether they're on an electric or a diesel train because we know the noises it makes or whether it's got a pantograph exactly. at the top. Oh, you send to the station, you're like, this is a really smelly train, this must be a diesel. Someone else may not think that. Yes. So it's just a case of telling them and making right. them aware of this is the better solution. So with the uh, decarbonisation agenda, do you see new ideas coming through or are we just trying to push the existing solutions we have? More Very widespread. good question. So, um, I mean, definitely the electrification is sort of seen as the silver bullet, yeah. or the solution to how do we decarbonise railways. And that would be to put up cables or electric exactly. current along the So tracks. that would be to put up overhead lines everywhere, transformers with it, because then you have to electrify it to a higher voltage to make it more efficient, make right. energy transmission more efficient. But it's obviously very expensive, it's very cumbersome, it needs a lot of people to be involved, it's a lot of infrastructure to go up, which is maybe not that great for the environment either because you have all this infrastructure. Right. And it maybe is not that pretty. So there are some other solutions that are coming up now. We talk about battery trains, we talk about hydrogen trains. So all these technologies that can bridge the gap, a time gap, until we electrify railways. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes there isn't a business case. Right. And that could be a solution to make it worthwhile. So we've just sat through a diversity, diversity session uh, where people were keen to point out diversity of both the way people look, the way people think, and their life experience. So do you think that diversity in itself will bring some new ideas about sustainability? Or would it be people more keen for sustainable solutions? I would hope so. I mean, um, in my, just in my personal experience, I see lots of environmental awareness and environmental awareness is growing. So amongst my group of friends, more and more people talking about climate-friendly solutions. So, I mean, the two of us, we've talked about how can we travel more sustainably? Do we need to go on a plane? Yeah. So my carbon balance for this year is already really bad. But if I'd had the choice, rather than going on an aeroplane, I would have taken a train if it had been possible. So yeah, we, we do need to bring in a few more people with different ideas and maybe not just the engineers of yesterday who think this is a train but other solutions and then the, really what we need to do is to make it more attractive model share more attractive so not just get away from cars and planes and go on trains how do you make this more attractive you probably need a few more ideas and that's why you're in rolling stock so you can help make the trains more attractive. Exactly. Perfect. And make it more attractive for people to work in the railway industry as well as make it more attractive for passengers to travel on trains. So another quiet corner and I am talking with Nikki Wright from HS2. Nikki, what do you do? Um, so I'm one of the uh, supply chain managers at HS2 and I look after the phase one stations. Which is phase one? So phase one is the first phase which looks at the line between uh, London and Birmingham. So that covers the four stations I look at, which is uh, Euston, Old Oak Common, uh, Curzon Street and Interchange, which are both in Birmingham. Right. And you told me just a minute ago uh, that you had been in rail for six months? Yes, new to rail. And why are you in rail and how did you get into rail? So I originally worked um, in aviation. Okay. So I was working in kind of UK airports, City Airport and Gatwick, looking right. at kind of more commercial management, so project delivery. Okay. Um, on the ground, getting kind of the work done. Yeah. And I decided that I like infrastructure. I like... Um, you like concrete? 
Yeah, love concrete. Right. Studied at a university. Okay. I'm an engineer from background. Um, and I just decided I liked the shift over to kind of learn something else about infrastructure more generally. Yeah. Um, not just focusing on kind of aviation or highways, but to move through it and understand the differences between them. So in supply chain, you're more del- you're more working with uh, companies that you're hoping to get into supply chain or yeah. Develop. So were you optimistic when you came in about diversity and bringing new ideas through the supply chain? I think from my understanding generally as a whole, obviously it's spoken about a lot that it is not as diverse, that there are issues generally within construction. Right. Um, my background as an engineer moving into kind of a more procurement and commercial world, I see that diversity kind of increasing as you move into away from site works right and um, i do think it's something that we hear of a lot but we often hear it in in forums or closed rooms yeah and so it doesn't seem that it's being kind of shared with the industry as, as much as we'd hope to get new faces and new people into the right you know so, idea that we need to develop so are there like concrete things concrete are there concrete <laughs> things being done to improve diversity and Yes, so as part of HS2, there's um, the skills initiative. So we ensure that we're, you know, putting in uh, requirements for our contractors in terms of uh, looking at the academy. Uh, We have a direct relationship with the skills involved in the UK with the academy, which is is great. And we look at what the UK is planning to do, how they're going to deliver that in terms of apprentices. Um, and also with our bringing in people into the organisation, so our tier ones, um, to ensure that that's developed over the next few years, basically. Okay. So do you think there are any lessons from HS2 that the other parts of the industry should learn? I think we're all, to be honest, it was talking about devolvement earlier in terms of, because there's so many different areas, I think we should all really be pulling together to learn from each other which right. is what I believe is taking place between kind of HS2, Network Rail, DFT. We're learning how we can be delivering that based on the skills shortage currently. Um, right. And we do have um, targets that are going to be achieved. Um, it's very difficult with so many kind of external right. um, challenges. So in, in, whilst there is a skills shortage, you're not just trying to steal all the skills for yourself? <laughs> yeah, me, me personally. <laughs> to deliver your steam. No, and I think that's okay. it. It's about the UK skills development, which HS2 are a part of. So it's not HS2 delivering it for HS2. It's yeah. HS2 delivering it for the UK, which I think means we're all pulling together to, to fill that quota. Right. Okay. But no quotas. <laughs> yeah, no quotas. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much, Thank Nikki. you. Nice to talk to you. You too. So I'm here with uh, Will and Fiona from uh, Rail Diary Limited. Can you tell us what Rail Diary is? Yep, so we are a software company working in the rail industry. We have a data collection and analysis app for rail contractors. So contractors, while they're working on site, can fill out their activity. And then we turn that into a series of reports uh, to help for long-term learning and more successful project delivery. Yeah, so we work with uh, companies here in the UK, but also overseas. We've since started working in projects in the Middle East and um, most recently in Malaysia, uh, helping them um, improve how they deliver infrastructure projects. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that, okay. Well, one of the things of the conference is about uh, cus- delivering a customer-focused railway at home and abroad. So obviously, if you're helping deliver it abroad, do you have any sort of thoughts or insights into how easy or difficult it's been to sell abroad? 
I think what we just heard in the last talk about working abroad was patience, and we have to be very patient in dealing with um, companies and waiting for the right opportunity. Right. Uh, the Middle East opportunity uh, came about by working with a, a fellow Bria SME and partnering with them to help them deliver one of their projects. They'd worked on getting this project for five, six, maybe seven years, and we've kind of um, piggybacked onto the back of that <laughs> and, and to help them deliver um, a great introduction so we can start working abroad after they've kind of laid the foundation we're helping them deliver that project. Right, that's an interesting concept then, so sort of the build use work with somebody else to get in through the door and then you can expand them in the market by yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah we found that having uh, trying to make a, a local network in whichever country we're trying to target, having a local representative that can go out on our behalf and meet people, so that's what we're working on now, specific targeted countries, uh, making a connection there that can go out on our behalf and meet people for us. Right, and do you think that when you're talking to markets outside the UK, in terms of the themes, the, the other theme which is about diversity and skills, is do you think that people abroad want people who look like traditional professional people or do they want a diverse company to come to them? I think they want a company that kind of um, is well-rounded and that will, then that's what we are. Um, we, we're not, the bulk of our company is not from a rail background, from software companies, charity background, lots of different uh, kind of diverse types of people but mainly backgrounds that gives us a more well-rounded offering so people right. want to um, work with the company knows what they're talking about and deliver on their promises and by being from such a different uh, and wide spread number of sectors we can do that and so um, that's really important when we speak to likes of clients in, in Malaysia who want to know that we can actually deliver on what we say we can do. Okay. So, uh, last thing is, would you have any sort of requests of the rail industry as a whole? <laughs> a big um, talking point recently, and certainly this conference has been around uh, visibility of work, um, allowing people to invest in, in, in people, um, and having that visibility allows you to make those long-term plans. There was a challenge yesterday that people should be investing uh, with, without that long-term plan, but that's just not really sustainable. Right. Um, so, a bit, bit more surety, a bit more... Uh, open and honesty about what's coming on, what's not coming, um, okay. so we can better plan as a business and grow as a business. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. I am here with Phil Facey from Deeper Than Blue Unify. Phil, can you tell us what Deeper Than Blue does? Sure. Um, we do software testing. So we de-risk implementation of software. Uh, so if anybody's getting any new software developed or delivered from a third party, that, uh, we would help them de-risk that implementation. We focus actually also on um, test early, test often, so that the software we know where the software testing is right throughout the process. Brilliant, thank you. Now we're at obviously at the uh, Rio conference, so the topic being um, building a customer-focused railway at home and abroad. I wanted to ask you: you're obviously based in Manchester. Yep. So if you were to sell abroad, how? Does a group like this or an industry event help you or guide you or what would you like from it? Sure. So um, one of the things that we found when we started working in the rail industry is everybody's saying about um, NS, who are the Dutch Railways, being the leaders in something called DevOps, which is a development process being tied in with operations. And a major part of DevOps is continuous testing running right the way throughout the software delivery pipeline. 
and that is actually what we focus on as part of our best practice. So coming back to, to this, once we've actually understood that and we know they're the absolute leader in, what we decided to do was go and learn from Dutch Railways. So using connections and things like LinkedIn and social media, we got in touch with people in Dutch Railways to actually say, look, we really admire what you do and where you're going with the railways and technology and innovation and can we come over and have a chat with you and talk to you. So we did to try and learn from the best practice. Also, as part of that, um, that builds our network in that area and we've been invited over to the World Rail Festival to actually give a talk there about continuous testing. Now, Johanna, I've just seen it's 10 past 12, so we need to head downstairs for the keynote uh, with the interview with uh, Andrew Haynes, Chief Executive of Neverabell. So, pause here. Right, well, that was fascinating. Basically, he ticked off everything what we spoke about before we went downstairs. Yeah, I also noticed you, you, you popped in a cheeky question. <laughs> <laughs> what did you ask? I, well, I asked about passengers, of course, um, because um, I, I wanted to talk about his next 100 days, because that was effectively his theme, was his first 100 days, and I pointed out that I think he's probably done the easy bit, right. and now he needs to talk, you know, needs to, how's he going to embed cultural change when we still work in an industry where people say things like, it'd be a great place to work if it wasn't for passengers, half-jokingly, <laughs> or people that like talking about passengers and user experience, um, are referred to as fluffy. Yes. So, and I think that is a good segue into our next guest and our final guest, who is Steve Tolton from Fuel Integrated. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Steve. Hi, Liam. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, good couple of days, eh? Good couple of days. Filled full of cake. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, th I thought you said you weren't going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is fuel? Fuel is an international marketing agency. Uh, we have worked in rail before, but not in recent years. We've been away uh, helping big brands like Dell and AMD and Intel um, communicate what they do uh, in their world, which is technology. But of course, if technology is so pervasive, it touches all of our lives. And uh, over the last 10 years, technology has become democratized as a result. So it's no longer just an operational function that sits within an enterprise and you can't touch it until IT come and fix it. Right. IT is everywhere, it's democratised and it delivers. When it delivers well, it delivers an excellent customer experience. Right. So lessons for rail? Opportunities in rail? Opportunities for rail are to look at other businesses that provide customer service. And that's what rail does. Custom, you know, they are ultimately customers. I know there's a lot of... Um, different types of customers, there's passengers, and we must not forget freight, but let's just look at the, the, the public, the travelling public side of things. Rail should look at other customer service brands, like Amazon, for example. Yeah. Amazon is a business that has disrupted retail, and it has understood the customer. When you buy something from Amazon, there's clear expectations as when it's going to arrive, right down to the wire. Yeah. Um, they are conscious of issues with products and returns, and some of that is an excellent customer experience. How do we know that? Well, the downside is that it's killing the high street, yeah. but the upside is is that it works. People go back to it. As a, so as a commercial 
entity, there are Amazon fans everywhere. And I think the lesson that um, I think we all need to learn within the rail business, as distinct from an industry, yeah. is how can we convert customers, the traveling public, and also freight, but like I'm saying, looking at the traveling public into fans, because fans always follow, they always come back, and they also understand, they forgive, and okay. they become great brand ambassadors. Which is, it, it's a poignant message to the conversation yesterday from Angie, who said, what is it, it takes 10 years to build trust with a passenger and 10 days to lose it? I can't remember what she said. I know yeah, I that, that they, they have this thing that they want their passengers to love them. Yeah. I mean, like, how would you get You're rail one of their passengers. passengers? Do you love them? Well, no, I don't. <laughs> but equally, I don't hate them either. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting concept, getting passengers to love you, because it's a service I use. I yeah. want, you know... Um, Do you love Thames water? No, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm mean, like, how do you, I'm mean, like, how do you love a brand? You know, uh, with any kind of service provision, there's the the tangible commodity side of things, and there are the things that you value. And um, if you look at social mobility, um, what rail and other forms of mass transit offer as well is the ability for people to grow, and to get to work, and go see their relations, and, and be mobile. Yeah. Um, and that's something which is not a commodity. On that basis then, do you think that we should be, are we putting far, is rail putting too much effort into obscure organisations like Network Rail, which are remote from passenger service delivery, having comms to even, trying to build a relationship with a customer when they don't actually have the relationship? Should we focus everything on the frontline train passenger interface? Most definitely, in my, my, my view. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got a big. We've, at the moment, we're we're um, in this country. Opinion is driven by populism, and the the, the, the big stumbling block that a rail industry is going to be coming up against soon is, oh yeah, let's go back to British Rail, let's renationalise everything, and that's yeah. because people are fed up. They can't see any other way rather than just to throw it all away, and and start again effectively, yeah. and that's not that's not going to help because you'll end up with the same situation just different management team in place. Steve, thank you very much. Um, that's it from us at this special episode at the Railway Industry Association Conference. So thanks for listening to What Moved Us. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.